In the name of God, Creator, Redeemer, and Giver of Life. Amen. Sometimes an invention or an action transforms activity. Take those foils, for example, on Emirates Team New Zealand and Luna Rossa Prada Pirelli Team. The technology lifted the boats right out of the water, which reduced the resistance and increased the speed. It was as though they were flying, and we could see clear air between the bottom of the boats and the sea. This has led to a whole new era of sailing. Te Rehutai means sea spray, or the spittle from your mouth that flies like sea spray when you talk with passion. Think of when cars replace horses as the primary means of transport, and when flying replaced sailing as a means of international travel. The time differences and the efforts were reduced phenomenally. These were transformative. That has also happened in the evolution of faith. Our reading from Jeremiah this morning speaks about it when he says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. He is referring to a new covenant, a new agreement, a new binding promise. But I want to talk about one other transformation before I settle on the New Covenant. And that is the transformation that took place in the Tuscan wine industry in the 1970s. You may wonder why I chose the Tuscan wine industry in the 1970s. <laughs> well, it's a story about tired and flabby winemaking it lived off a reputation of the past and had lost its way before there was a change of practice that not, that not only produced some of the world's finest wines, but transformed the practice of the entire region to be what it is today. It will help us understand the breadth of the vision the Prophet was talking about. And when we set this extraordinary development alongside these others, the foils on the America's Cup yachts the cars that took over from horses, and the planes that replaced sailing ships. If you are old enough, you will remember the raffia-clad Chianti bottles of cheap Italian wine in the 1960s and 70s that many of us drank as students. These wines flooded the international markets on the allure of Italian tradition and taste. In fact, they were tired, <coughs> they were tired, insipid, and flabby fiascos that were produced in marked contrast to the crafted Italian wines at the time in Piemonte and in a small area of Tuscany around Montalcino. They were, they were crafting the famous Barolos, Barbarescos, and Brunellos at that time. The great red grape of Tuscany is Sangiovese. The raffia-clad Chianti was not carefully crafted indigenous red varietals Instead, it was diluted with white varietals that were allowed by the controlling Tuscan wine body. The same body would not allow international varietals. This all changed 
when two winemaking families in the region abandoned the inadequate winemaking rules and set out to make the best red wines they could from local and international grapes. One of the families, Incisa della Rocetta, had been making wine on their Bulgaria estate on the Tuscan coast since the 11th century. The other, the Antinori family, had been making wine in Tuscany for 26 generations since the 14th century. To cut a long story short, both winemaking families added Bordeaux varieties to their cepage of red wine, and both removed the white grapes. In 1971, Mario Incisa della Rocetta released his now famous wine Sassicaia, using almost entirely Bordeaux grapes. And in that same year, Piero Antonori produced Tignanello, which has become equally as famous. He used 85% indigenous Sangiovese grapes, but added 15% Bordeaux. These are known as the Super Tuscans. They were immediate hits in the world wine market and are still today much sought after in very, ex in very expensive wines. So, why have I told you this? Well, apart from the fact that I really love telling these stories about wine, the real reason is the story illustrates the principle that is at the heart of Jeremiah's famous prophecy about the new co covenant. What principle, you might ask? Well, Sassachia and Tignanello are not simply famous bottles of wine. They transformed winemaking and lifted the standard across the region. The Tuscan winemaking rules were eventually relaxed to allow their varietal to allow other varietals, and you seldom see white grapes in a Chianti wine today. The Super Tuscans that have followed have become equally prized, but more importantly, the indigenous Sangiovese grape is now produced to the highest standards and is considered to be one of the world's greatest varietals. The innovation in the 1970s carried out by these two great winemaking families transformed the practice of winemaking in the region and have placed Tuscan wines indisputably at the forefront of the world's fine wines. Okay, I promised to talk about the scriptures now. Here is how Jeremiah, the great prophet of Israel, describes the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declared the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He is looking to a time when people will no longer be dependent on external laws or rules to direct their religious, moral, social and political lives but experience the life of God within them. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, he says. From a Christian perspective, this is hugely important. It refers to transformation like the AC-75 class yachts, the transportation changes from horses to cars, the sailing boats to planes, and of course, from the raffia-clad, diluted Chianti bottles to Super Tuscans. This is movement from externally motivated religion, based on a set of rules and laws, 
to an internalized spirituality and inner life that enables us to love and respond like God. In a sense, this is religion on steroids, but without steroids, if you know what I mean. Jesus would later refer to the paraclete, or the Holy Spirit, as the expression of God who becomes internalized within us. God is love, and we learn to yield to that love which is in our soul. This really helps, because the self-centered part of us lives with the love of God in our hearts. It is no longer externally motivated, it is internally motivated and can really fly. Now of course, that doesn't mean we always respond to the love of God within us. It means that goodness is there and we can learn to cooperate more and more as we mature as spiritual people, yielding to the love of God within our, within our lifelong pilgrimage. This new covenant replaces the old covenant in Christian thinking. The old covenant was about the law, and that was understood metaphorically to be written on tablets of stone. If Israel was to be blessed, they needed to obey the Torah or the law. This was the message of the prophets. The law was clear. If the law was not carried out, God would withdraw his blessing and they would suffer. Because so many people had been traumatized by the experiences of 70 years or 70 odd years in exile, there was a tendency after that period through into the time of Christ for the leaders to become more and more legalistic about their faith. They did not want to return to exile in another nation, so they began to see their hope for freedom was obeying the law strictly, and they developed more and more rules to account for just about every situation a person might find themselves in. But the problem this created was that the plethora of laws became an end of themselves, and the people and the people lost their softness and their heart. The focus became one of obedience to an internal to an external code rather than looking after one another and acting in love. It was this sort of legalism that Jesus challenged. He saw it as demeaning and even hypocritical. His classic encounter with Peter illustrates this. Peter asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times seven. The rule at that time was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, you had the right to pay back someone who had harmed you only up to the amount that they harmed you and no more. In that society, Peter was being really generous, trying to get into, onto Jesus' wavelength, and suggested forgiving seven times. This was a big deal. He was operating out of an external code, trying to understand this new teaching. Jesus' response, 70 times seven, wasn't referring to the Old Covenant and meaning 490 times. He was referring to Jeremiah's New Covenant, where the law is not written externally, but internally in people's minds and hearts. The love of God within us both prompts and empowers us to live a life 
of forgiveness. This doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be unjustly treated, but that we look to the best in people, work through our own hurts, and don't hold grudges. Jesus' summary of the law expressed the same principle when he was asked which is the greatest commandment in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, he said. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the Lord and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the new covenant Jeremiah was feeling for. Prophets felt things, it was intuitive. Jesus was addressing the legalism that had developed after the exile by transforming external obedience into an internalized walk with God, where our hearts and minds are taught more and more to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and the love of God within us. This is his great gift, or thong, to us. As the hydrofoils have transformed yachting, and as two <laughs> hard-working, innovative family vineyards changed the quality of Tuscan wine, so Jesus transformed faith as the, as the great prophet predicted. This, of course, is a Christian perspective, and Jews would see it differently. That is their right, and we can respect that. Nevertheless, from a Christian perspective, the transformation is at least as significant as changes in, in, changes in transportation from horses to cars and sailing boats to aeroplanes. So to finish up, I think it helps to ask ourselves about how much we live in the New Covenant. Are we aware of the love of God within us? Do we respond to the rich internal life where fulfilling the law is about loving God and our neighbour consistently? These questions are good tests of spiritual life. If you struggle with these matters, please seek help from one or other of us, because the new covenant, the life of the Holy Spirit, is for you and for everyone who seeks it. There is absolutely no need to be any impediments to this. It is God's gift for you and for me.